ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good morning, it's Chicky Fitzgerald, and today is the launch date of our brand new show brand, which is The Game Changer. And our very first guest is Antonio Nieto Rodriguez. Did I pronounce that right, Antonio? Yes, Chiki. Thank you very, very well. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. And you're joining us, uh, actually, uh, you may be one of our first European guests. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and where you're calling in from, and then we're going to talk about your book, The Focused Organization. Thank you, Chiki, I'm, I'm really delighted to be on the call, be the first one on your new uh, radio show brand, uh, being one of the first one from Europe. So I'm really, really happy for this uh, um, discussion we're going to have. So I hope it's also uh, enjoyable for the listeners, and that's what I wanted to make sure. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So I'm Spanish from Madrid. I'm based in Brussels, Belgium, but I've lived a bit all over the world, Mexico, Italy, the Netherlands, the U.S., so I consider myself quite international. Um, my career started in technology, and then I moved into consulting 10 years in one of the largest consulting firms, and maybe I can tell you a personal story to start, and which has marked my career and myself <clears throat> Um, at my 10th year in, in this big consulting firm, I, was, I became one of the experts in project management for, uh, in the world for this big uh, company, and, and I mm -hmm. wanted to become partner. And to become partner in, what, in one of these companies, you need to have a business case. You need to have an idea which will bring uh, high revenues to, to this partnership so that you become one of them. And, and my idea was to become... Uh, the expert and develop businesses around project management for organizations and how to prioritize. So it was very straightforward for me. This is about 10 years ago. So I went to the partnership. I exposed my business case. I was very, very happy with my, my presentation. The day after, the managing partner calls me in and says, Antonio, you did a great job. I thought it's done. And then he tells me, but sorry, we, we have to fire you. Uh, because we don't believe on yourself. Oh no! <laughs> uh huh. Wow, that's quite the story. Well, you know, it's so funny, Antonio, because uh, those who listen to the show regularly know that over the course of the last couple of months, I've been taking a, a little bit of a pause in in my business i am a, a serial entrepreneur i'm constantly uh creating new things and uh you know part of the launch of of the new show brand is because i've just written my first book uh which is called the game changer and so we decided to change the wow. show name and uh, you had asked me before we uh, got on the air uh, about that book, and I'll, I'll just tell you just in a nutshell because I think you of all people will appreciate this because mm -hmm. uh, in this book there, there are uh, several major characters who are employees within – or actually not just employees, but the executive team within a technology company – and they have been, uh, you know, kind of chugging along trying to grow the company, and they have finally had to take an external in investment. And so now they have to answer to a private equity company, and, and uh, they have put in their own CFO, and they've got mm -hmm. a, a partner who is, is uh, handling the company and, and getting them back on track. And they all go to an off-site meeting, and we've all been to those. Uh, this particular yeah. one was an absolute disaster uh, for a whole bunch of reasons that I don't need to go into. But 
as everyone leaves this three-day off-site meeting, they all go back to their homes or their offices or they're in their car, and each one of them happens to listen to one of my radio shows. And so they're all listening to one about wow. a different topic. But when they come back together, and they don't share what has occurred uh, in their own lives, but it, it changes who they are and it changes what they bring to the company. And uh, the company just uh, has this dynamic shift. And, uh, you know, it's so, so interesting that, that the topic of your book is about focus because I have been seeking that in my own life. And, and it's hard when you're uh, trying to build a technology company and you're writing a book about building a technology company and then you do a radio show <laughs> about growth. Focus is not my, uh, my strongest suit. But uh, so I think I need this show more than any of our listeners. So I'm going to stand at the front of that particular line. Okay. I, I recognize what you're saying, Chiki. It's, I, I myself, I'm not like uh, uh, the most focused person. I also love to try new things. But in a sense, we're focused in a different way, and that's what I, I, I want to explain as we progress with this talk. But there's different kinds of focus, and I, I'm sure you have a focus which is not the traditional, but you are focused on, on quality, on, on innovation, on, on right. communicating, on connecting people and bringing value. So I, I do believe that although you are not focused on one only thing, you're focused in a different way. Right. But you know the interesting dimension of that. Uh, I've had a consulting firm for 20 years, and the, the foundation for my consulting firm is a unique project management methodology where we wow. pull together. And really, I just thought about this. This is what, what we made our reputation on, is putting together project plans for new initiatives, and and we did it in in this three day session where you had a strategy on day one. I mean, you pretty mm -hmm. much knew what you were going to do, but you had no idea what it was. What was the definition? Who was going to do what? Uh, you know, how was it going to get accomplished? How was it going to get staffed? And at the end of the three day period, we would produce a five or six hundred line integrated Microsoft project plan that was executable wow. and measurable. So I realized as you were talking that what I am actually doing in my own, uh, in this time that I'm calling my pause, is I'm actually creating that multidimensional project plan for all the different uh -huh. aspects of my business, my tech company, my media company, even my, my strategic consulting firm. So it's funny that we're talking about project management when that is actually the heart of focus, that you have to be able to manage all the dimensions of what you're doing. Am I, uh, have I encapsulated your book into uh, just one phrase? <laughs> It, it's so brilliant, uh, Chiki. You could be adding to teaching your uh, services because what you've been explaining is actually what I teach at business schools to executives. It's, it's just what you just said precisely like that. So you could start teaching too if you want to. <laughs> well, I don't think I need to add one more thing to my plate. <laughs> my husband wouldn't be very happy with that, Antonio, I have to say. <laughs> you know, let's know. let's start with talking um, about the framework for the book because I love a book that, that has a, a framework that it uses as its principles uh, for organizing the book. And you've got the book separated in, into two major parts. Uh, the first is why most companies only partially achieve their strategies, and I would argue that's if they even know what their strategy really is. Uh, and then the second is the benefits and methods of becoming focused, and, and uh, you know that's what we were just talking about. So let's dive right into that. I, I know you've worked a, as a consultant, as I have, with a lot of different kinds and sizes and flavors of companies. Mm -hmm. So what is it that keeps companies constrained and only partially achieving their strategies? So like you said, there's so many factors that influence. So it's hard to just distill which one are the key ones. That's what I've tried to do. 
Uh, and of course, everything starts with having a clear strategy and a vision. If you don't have that, then you can forget about the rest. But that, that's the first point. My, my first goal with the book was just personal. You know, I told you I, I was fired and I could not understand why such senior executives, leaders, partners of a business could not see any right. value of investing in project management. Well, it sounds a and little bit dry. It sounds a little bit dry if you don't understand it. Exactly. So for me, it was just how come? And, and I did quite some research. I looked for 100 years. I took a big picture. And, and part of my findings is that the big business management gurus like Porter or, or Peter Drucker or, or Frederick Taylor, they were not really telling that project management was important, was essential for executing your vision, your project. So I think there has been like, uh, it has, it's, a, it's a core competency, but it's not made it to the big league of, of business management terms. So we all do projects, but it's not like innovation or, or marketing and branding. And so I, I wanted to, to understand why. And, and one, one of the reasons is because these business management gurus never mentioned the word. It's, it's, it's something that another research I did is top business schools in the world, and there are many in the US like Harvard, MIT, Wharton, they don't teach project management to MBAs. These are people who will be future leaders of Fortune 500 companies. They don't teach uh, MBAs at Harvard like project management, which is an essential skill. So I try to find for my own good to understand why, and then I could address that through my book and my work. And, and, and basically, there's a huge gap which is closing very fast because now it's, it's really been on the top of the agenda of many organizations. So that's the best part. The first part of my book uh, is understanding why it has been some, so undermined and, and not visible on the CEO agenda and, and how, luckily changing through our work. And so your, your second chapter talks about the evidence of this neglect of project management. And, you know, I kind of joked a little bit about the fact that I don't believe that companies actually understand the destination that they're trying to reach. Um, mm. You know, they, they have this ethereal view about profitability or growth, um, but I don't think they really know what sets them apart and and why someone should choose them. And to me, if that isn't what your goal is, you can't begin to lay out the strategies of how to get there, let alone a project plan. Exactly, Chiki. Uh, I've seen that also. It's, 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 um, it's linked to the fact of being focused. I think many companies try to please many different segments and different ideas. So it links to the concept of making choices. And, and making choices is very, very hard. When I talk to executives, I tell them, listen, if you're in an offsite, like in your book that you just mentioned, uh, The Game Changer, if you're in an offsite and you're talking strategies, after the meeting, at the end of the meeting, you don't feel pain. It's not a painful decision and, and people feel uncomfortable. You didn't really have a strategic meeting. It was more a brainstorming session, like having right. coffee with friends. Strategy is painful and we're not trained to that. We, we avoid the painful decisions. And when you see some of the leading uh, um, uh, CEOs and, and, and like the guy Jeff Bezos or, or Steve Jobs, they were extremely good at taking the tough calls, extremely, extremely good at keeping those tough calls going and running. And I think this is a major skill that has to be developed if you want to run a business. Right, right, absolutely. So how do you, how do you raise the importance of, of project management um, you know, is it an education first that they have to understand why it's a good idea? Or, or do you start with showing them why their strategic initiatives have failed? Yes. I, I start with the second one. I think they need to, once they realize that they've been failing, they've been investing 
resources. Uh, often large corporates, they spend 10% of their resources in terms of uh, re employees working in strategic initiatives. Imagine a company of, of uh, 100,000 employees, that's 10,000 people working day in, day out in, in strategic initiatives. I ask them, what do you get from that? Can you show me any evidence of any value being created by 10,000 people that right now are working in strategic initiatives? And, and they cannot. They're, they're, they're just afraid to tell me the truth because it's a bit embarrassing. And, and, and I think that's the starting point when I have these kind of discussions. Do you find that a CEO or an executive team could actually, without having a business plan in their hand, could they name their top 10 strategic initiatives? I think this is an excellent question again. Uh, I, you know, I, an exercise with, which I do very interesting, Chiki, and, uh, and I, I do ask a CEO their top 10. I, I try to keep it even to the top five. And, right. and, and I do get a list from, um, from the, the CEO, the, the leading person. I often get a list of 15 initiatives. I just ask five. But the interesting part of this exercise is when you have the executive team around the table. Imagine you have six, seven people. You have either you have your board of directors of, or the executive team. You ask them individually in a post-it, write me the top three initiatives for this organization to, to be there in 10 years. What is going to take us and make us be there in 10 years? And, and imagine there's six people. I ask them to put it in a post-it. Once I'm listening aloud, initiatives, I would expect three because I asked three to the group, but I get 16, 18, and, and this is a shock. This, they, when they see that they're not aligned at the top, they don't know the priorities, they right. have a serious issue, and, and that's what I'm trying to, to start with, showing them that this is huge impact on, on the rest of the organization. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I think back to when I was young, we would go uh, almost every summer uh, from Indiana, which is you know in the central part of the U.S., and we would drive mm -hmm. all the way to California on the West Coast. And you know it was a multi-day drive, and and we would go camping, and we would do all kinds of things on that trip. And you know, obviously, leading up to that trip, there would be you know packing of the car, packing of suitcases. Uh, you know, various levels of planning. But if we didn't know our destination, one of us might have been packing swimming suits and the other would have been packing yeah. ski clothing, right? And, yeah. and I think this is what I see in so many companies, that because they don't know the end game and they yeah. really can't all articulate, at, or they, they hire very expensive consultants, and of course, since that's the way that we make our money, you know, we're, we're happy that they do. But they'll spend an entire day, or worse, three or four days, trying to craft uh, a mission statement or a vision statement, and they're they're really missing the boat. Of because yeah. the question I think is so dead simple: it's what does success look like for our company? Mm -hmm. What, what does that look like? And when I articulate that about my own company, I say that I want to be the CEO of a well-funded technology company in Tampa, Florida, that changes the game in how people book travel. And, and I know that's my destination. And, and anything short of that, anything short of changing the game or anything short of being well-funded, and whether that's external funding or funded by revenues – I'll know I, I'm not there yet, and I still have work to do. It's very, very clear. Uh, I, I, it's, I can even visualize what you're telling me. I could see your company in 10 years, and, and I think this is brilliant vision statement. So uh, fully agree. I fully agree with your say. I, I, I think what's key also is besides that kind of vision, what organizations need to have. I call them finish lines or... Because yes. we do need to have some kind of, we cannot work endlessly for years without, with a sense of achievement. And I highly recommend any entrepreneur, any business person, 
or leader to have finish lines throughout the year or, or once per year. And, and if you see the companies which are leading, they do have a, a moment in the year or every two years where they launch a new product and everybody in the company knows that date. So you're working as a team together for that date. Everybody knows in the U.S. when it's the Super Bowl final, I think, and they know the year in advance, and everybody's working to get there. So companies should have finish line. If you don't have a finish line, then I think you're, you're wasting a lot of potential. Right, right. So, you know, as, as we move on to the second half of your book, uh, it talks about the benefits and methods of becoming focused. So, first of all, the word focus Im- implies that you're, you're focusing on one thing. And, and this is what I was saying in my own business. I've got strategic advisors who want me to focus on that one thing. But what if that one thing is the project plan, right? And, and it is the multifaceted plan to make mm-hmm. the whole thing successful. Um, so when, when you're hired or, or when you're teaching in, in school, how are you teaching companies to focus? What is the essence of that? I show them the framework, so each of the letters of focus has a meaning and, 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 and has an action linked to it, so uh, I'll just give you a couple, but focus for me, it's, although it's not binary, but it does uh, um, say a lot, focus means really what's your essence, what are you known, and I, I research many companies, and, and for example, Lego, I, I, I'm sure you know if you have kids, Lego blocks. Uh, They struggled a lot when they started to spread too thin. They were launching many, many products. And even beyond the blocks, they started to do things which people didn't want. So what a CEO did, the new one, to turn out that company again, focus on the core, focus on the blocks and build on the blocks. But you saw that in Apple, too, when Steve Jobs was fired, came back, and he really focused the company in in two desktops and two laptops. is not the essence, but I think it, it helps to know what are your two, three key services that you're providing, what are the two, three products that you're, uh, that you're trying to sell, and, and along those lines, also your strategic initiatives. You cannot run 10, 15 if you're a small company. Choose one or two, put your best people, make sure everybody knows them, and, and make sure they get done. And, and so the first essential thing is, is narrowing down and, and really cutting to the essence. What what makes you successful in the past because you went through a, a life cycle where you were a startup and then you become uh, excellent and then you're struggling? Go back to that essence. That's the number one um, recommendation that I do. It's painful, very painful, but it's worth it. Right, and then you, you also have your six pillar framework uh, for becoming a focused organization and uh, why don't you walk us through those those six elements of a focused organization so yeah I think there's something beyond the um, the terms but the pillars are are core for um, for understanding um, what how can you work on uh, on your uh, strategic objectives. Maybe what I can tell you also is the benefits of being focused. And, and I think yeah. this works both for individuals. What's, what's interesting for me is I started to talk about the organizations which were focused and, and the benefits that they had. But lately I'm working more with individuals. I'm doing much more work. People tell me I'm totally unfocused. How can I get focused? And, and, and there's such a strong correlation between being focused and, and performance and satisfaction. Even now it's about well-being and, and, and there's a very strong correlation of people who are focused in a sense, like we started the talk, and happiness. So we all want to be happy. One of the things you need to do is focus. Interesting. Right. Yes, yes. Interesting. You know what the, the interesting part too? 
cheeky is that by nature our brain tends to go unfocused. So we're pulled now with all these technologies and, and, and the instant messaging to be unfocused. So there's a constant battle in our minds to uh, to try to get unfocused and get distracted with the easy task and, and the e easy quick satisfaction. And, and on the other hand, we know by research that if you manage to focus to spend one hour in one task, especially the difficult ones, and you get into this bubble, uh, you feel much better. And, and, and I, I find fascinating the way we're built as human beings because, you know, in a sense, we're pulled to the negative and and it's a constant struggle to get into the positive. We know the formula, it's just a question of discipline and, and, and being aware, but uh, it's interesting that has become now an individual um, angle that I'm working more than actual with the organizations. Right, right. So, you know, as, as you try to walk people through this, and again, I, I uh, have used a very similar uh, framework as as you describe in in chapter mm -hmm. five of your book. Yeah, you really start with leadership and culture, and and yeah. this has to start at the top. And if you don't have a culture <coughs> that supports being focused, um, many people describe their their CEO as as someone who's constantly, um, you know, going after that shiny new object. Right, they they can't stay focused on the one thing that they need to get across that finish line. Yeah, exactly. And the more I do research and work and teach, and I, I've become to realize that the culture drives everything. I, it's not. I've seen Peter Drucker, for example, saying some that culture it's a strategy of life, and and culture is those very intangible things that is so hard to work. It's easier to work and set up a system or a framework and, and processes. And, but in the end, what lasts and what influences most is culture and, and it subtrives everything. If the culture has become toxic or, or totally misaligned with the values of the founders and, and moved away some, some of the key principles, the company will collapse. So it's very, very, very key, the culture and the values that you have yourself uh, in your own business, it's, it's reflected in your business every day. That culture, that vision, that values drives everything. You can set up the most brilliant processes and frameworks, but what gets done goes through your culture and your attitude and the way you lead. And, and do you think that uh, when you go into an unfocused organization, um, the the second part of your framework are the people and their skills. Mm -hmm. So do you have to change the kinds of people that you hire or change how you impart skills to them in order to become more focused? This is uh, uh, an interesting question because the research I've, I've seen is that at any given point, it, this is coming from Harvard actually, at any given point, uh, people, 50% uh, of the people are not focused. So imagine you have a company of 10 people working for you, uh, Chiki, and, and let's say right now, five of them are not working in, uh, although they're present in the office, they're not working for you. They're, their brain is wandering. They're thinking about what to do this weekend. They might be checking their Facebook or, or Googling something. So by nature, and this tendency to do for the easy things, quick things. So 50% of the people are not focused. So imagine a company, I was working for a big bank with, with 100,000 employees. I was talking to the CEO and was telling, listen, Philip, based on this theory, 50,000 people of your bank, right now, this Tuesday, two o'clock, they're not working. They're, they're in the banks, don't worry, but they're not there. They're not playing <laughs> because the, we're not focused as a bank. We don't know what you want. There's no finished line. We don't know what are the strategic priorities, initiatives. So the more you focus at the top, the more people will deliver on that. And they will be happier because I told you this relationship. When you're focused, you deliver and you're happy. You have a, a satisfaction of doing and contributing to something. Uh, I, I've never seen a company where 
uh, individuals don't want to help implement a strategy. Everybody in a company wants to help in a bit or a more uh, way to implement the strategy if there's one, but it's just, I think, the leadership and the people can be motivated and, and empowered and engaged if the things from the top come very clear. Right, right. And you talk also a little bit about organization and governance. And does are, are there situations where the organization and, and the governance of the organization are actually the problem behind why they can't be focused? I, I think this comes back to, to some uh, management waves uh, consulting where it was more about decentralizing and centralizing. Maybe this sounds familiar to you and, yes. and the listeners. And what this creates also the, the silos, the silos culture. And, and I, I think this, it's, it's hard to say that silos are not good uh, all the time. There's some benefits. But if you're working transversally, if you want to be an agile organization, uh, the silos are a blocking factor. The little empires with people with lots of power or people or resources, uh, they, they they focus more on on their own part of the business than actual business. I've I've done some some work several times. Some companies where their whole goal is to work as a team. They start calling one bank, one team, one. So it's, it's it, the the organization tends to pull people, if not well structured, into silos, and and that can be an issue. Yes, big issue. Right. Right. And then you also talk uh, a bit about processes and methods. And, you know, one of the things that we do in, in our three-day planning session uh, that produces that integrated project plan is actually to force people to list the things that they should stop doing, not just what they should be doing, because that tends if, – if you already had ten things that you were responsible for and now you've got to add five more, it just – is an impossible, impossible thing to get your, your arms around. Mm -hmm. So really looking at the reports that you're producing, and, and is there anyone actually reading them? And, and part of this process, and I, I know you would absolutely love this process, we, we put uh, you know, all over the walls of the room that we're working in all of the uh, individual elements uh, of the mm -hmm. tasks that have to be done to accomplish the major initiatives. And we also have what we need uh, in order to do our job. So what inputs do we need and then what outputs? And those outputs are typically deliverables or reports or you know, something that someone is going to read or approve. Mm -hmm. And there's one point in the day, it's actually at the end of the second day, where when someone says, here are my outputs, everybody else in the room has to say whether they need those or not. And uh, it, it's always mm -hmm. a really a big moment for the group to realize that they worked, you know, for three or four hours defining these deliverables, but nobody actually needed them as an input mm -hmm. to make a decision or to accomplish their task. And and so we, of course, throw those uh, <clears throat> individual components of, of the initiative away because if nobody needs them, then why did we concoct them to begin with? And I, I think that there are many things about processes and methods uh, that are so antiquated. It's one of the things I talk about uh, in, in the story that I tell in my allegorical novel. I love that. I, I really, I like your approach because it focuses on outcomes. So I was smiling when you were telling me this story. I really, I thought, wow, this is very, very creative, very insightful and an and, and easy way, simple way to make them realize that half of the work they're doing is useless and they're, they're focusing <laughs> right. on, the, on the wrong thing. So. I really loved. I think that's the risk with processes that they're easy to build and and you could spend a few months just developing one. But the the key is is what's the what's the use and 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 and, and do they really add value to the whole picture and and not just one individual or a small team? I, I really like your approach. I, I've not heard about that and I love that you're focusing on the outcomes. And who are the, the the beneficiaries of these outcomes? And you do that right. in a team, so I can imagine the faces of the people. They must go like crazy. Well, and you know what's so funny? I have found in my own life, and and I'm in in my late fifties, that the older I get, the the least or less 
tolerant I am of a lot of words. Uh, I'm much better mm. with pictures and visuals and even yeah. word pictures or, or storytelling, right? That, that makes so much yeah. more of an impact. So this particular process where everything is visual, you know, you're, in fact, part of the, the challenge that we give to companies because we break people into teams and like the people who are in sales and marketing always want to be on the sales and marketing team. And yeah. when we tell them, no, you don't get to be on the sales and marketing team. You you need to go over and be on the product team. And the finance guy who, you know, he wants to be in the group that talks about, you know, the the numbers and the metrics and we're like, yeah. "Nope, you need to be over on the sales team." <laughs> and and uh then we uh kind of force people to do a walk around the room and and then to to tell the story of what they have constructed. And then their peers get to hear that story. And it, it's just great fun. But, it, you know, as I look at your model, this is exactly what we're doing. Because the next thing on your, your six-pillar framework are the systems and the tools that it takes for an organization to become focused around what they need to do. And and so – exactly. Yeah, give, give me uh, some sense of what you have seen in the systems and tools realm where people needed to either add uh, tools or they had been using tools that were antiquated that needed to be replaced. Uh, I I think the tools is, is both a benefit and a big risk, and that's why I've seen in 20 years is uh, I've seen many companies just whenever there's a problem, uh, they say, let's automate that and uh, let's automate that and we have a problem here in supply chain let's automate that we have a problem in finance let's automate let's buy a system and and this has created i call them spaghetti uh, infrastructures and systems because it's all over the place it's just i think this this is very very hard to manage to be an it director today is very hard because the systems are so interwined in, in the processes and the people and the skills and the competencies that it's contraproductive. And, and sometimes uh, you just need one extra person or and you don't need to automate. Uh, so for me, there's lots of benefits with automation, consistency of data, bringing up uh, the real information to take decisions to the executives and, and following the execution. But it's very, very, very difficult to do it right. Do you think that you will replace a system when you buy a new one? I've seen very few companies replacing a system, actually. Right. They, they build it on top of the other, and, and so then you have double, again, the number of data and entries and sources. I've seen large companies, they have hundreds, thousands of applications and Excels and PowerPoints, so it becomes very <laughs> yes. unproductive. Oh, completely, completely. I mean, I, I look at my own desktop on my own uh, laptop system, and, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. It's really just me. Mm -hmm. I've got other people who help me in building uh, my technology and, and uh, in, in helping to market it. But when I try to navigate where things are and, and how, yeah. how I name things and when you don't use a naming convention, and I mean, there are all kinds of things that distract us, right? And so the yeah. major enemy of a focused organization is all of that distraction and chaos. Exactly. Exactly. Right, so you can't even yeah. get to the sixth pillar, which I think is the most important one, which is performance management. And if, you know, if you aren't measuring things, then they won't get accomplished, right? And exactly, because people right. do what they're rewarded for and what gets measured. So talk to me a little bit about performance management and how it underscores um, the focused organization. I think my point on performance is sometimes you see companies with 50, 50 KPIs and 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 then they're often contradictory. I, I uh, you cannot work at the same level on customer satisfaction and efficiency, for example. You need to prioritize. Do you if you need to make a choice? Imagine you're you're trying to deliver a service to someone, but then you need to go to the next client. Uh, what do you do? Do you stay enough time with the first customer? and you forget about the second, so you focus on customer service, or you do a half-time work, 
on the first one and rush to the next one. Uh, what's the priority on those KPIs? What's more important? Is it customer service or is it efficiency and or cost? You need to, it's a bit, a bit the same, you need to be focused and prioritize your performance and your KPIs and then measure it and show that you're progressing towards that vision. I've seen many KPIs, many reports on performance which don't tell me anything. Just tell me how well we did in one specific process, but how does it contribute to that vision? How does how right. does that report and that performance contribute to your vision, Chiki, of being that company in 10, 15 years? That, yes. just, that's what you need to know. You don't need to know more. Absolutely, absolutely. So as as our listeners are hearing all of this and trying to figure out where they are, let, let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, of am I focused or am I not focused? I, I want to come back to the subtitle of your book, which is How Concentrating on a Few Key Initiatives Can Dramatically Improve st- Strategy Execution. And, you know, we've talked about project management, which by its very nature takes sometimes hundreds of individual elements that mm-hmm. feed up to each of those initiatives, right? And and so what does the prioritization process look like? I've... Um I think this is one of the biggest issues I see today in organization and, and, and individuals too, is how do you prioritize your life? How do you prioritize all the things you want to do? And, and as an organization, it's, it's the same. How do you prioritize? And you would find lots of models and frameworks. We will tell you, first make a business case, calculate how much return it will get, how much uh, risk does this one, and then you make a matrix. And and I've tried all these models, and actually it's not easy to work with them. Um, The way, because it's hard to get good data, it's hard to do a good estimate on the cost and the benefits of 50 initiatives. So I try to, again, focus on the essence. It's a question of um, alignment to that vision, How, 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 how much the alignment in the 1 to 10, is this initiative aligned to that strategic vision? And and you probably have some strategic objectives for this year uh, and the next years. How aligned is this? How much is going to be contributing? So that's a, a very simple way that you can start doing that tomorrow. Take all of your initiatives, put the objectives on the other side, and rank them from 1 to 10. How aligned is this? How much is going to bring me to that end stage or, or finish right. line. And then you can add some some risk factor. Is this completely new? Is this going to take us a lot of resources? But work with a uh, high level. If you start trying to be precise and 100% perfect, it can take you six to nine months to start even prioritizing and you will not get it right. So it's, it's a question of feeling and and, and gut feeling and experience and, and consensus among the team. Right, right. Yeah, I find uh, a 10-point scale a little bit tough to deal with when you're, when you're trying to do prioritization. And, and uh, at least for myself, I, I find mm-hmm. a need to be a little bit more simplistic and going with you know high, medium, and low, and then yeah. you know within each of those categories, you know perhaps again doing one more cut uh, at the high, medium, low, or or green, red, and yellow. Um, again, because I'm so visual, what I tend to do in these sessions is I bring a pack of stickers. Um, uh-huh. little round stickers that, and yes. you know, we use a lot of sticky notes so that you can move things around, but hmm. putting those stickers on and then having the team debate, no, that's not high. You know, that it, exactly. it shouldn't be green, it should be yellow. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that that can be a really, really useful tool. Antonio, you know, with, within your book, again, I, I love the fact that you have so many practical tools and images and uh, you know i mean i i can see uh using this book as a a course uh, and perhaps it it is a lot of your course material uh you know from your classroom 
So, mm-hmm. you know, I encourage our listeners, uh, you know, if, if you have uh, some issues within your organization where you're not focused um, and you really do need to dramatically improve uh, your, your execution phase, uh, you know, to get a hold of the physical book because uh, while you, you can read uh, or listen to things in audio books uh, or look at them online, you know, with Kindle or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. this physical book should be uh, your organizational Bible, I think, moving forward. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's uh, it's really nice what you're saying. It's uh, it's. I spent a lot of time and I just put things that work for me. So uh, I appreciate what you're saying very much, Chiki. Well, it is definitely my pleasure. Um, what what is the one takeaway, Antonio, that that you want our listeners to have from today's uh, discussion about this? I would like that they they think about their they can choose themselves or the organization and and really try to make a list of top three things that they they want to accomplish in the next uh, year or two. Like it'll be, it has to be painful. Like I said, you don't don't worry if it's painful and you're dropping things in the end. Once you go through that path, you will find a lot of satisfaction and and the dots will connect. It it happened to me. I I didn't know when I was fired that things will make so much sense 10 years later. And now uh, I'm I'm very successful. I've become the chairman of the largest project management association in the world. I have a uh, wow. I've been hired by by GSK. So just keep 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 focus on your passion on what you're good and and I'm sure it will pay you. It won't be easy, but that's also part of of the challenge and the fun. If it would be easy, then it would not be fun. <laughs> that's very very true. Well, I so appreciate you taking uh, time on your Friday evening to to spend this time with us, and uh, I know I need. To think about focus, and uh, but more particularly, uh, the light went on for me that focus requires prioritizing a lot of different moving parts, and that actually is providing me some mental freedom this weekend to realize that all of this work I've been doing to launch my book, to launch the new show mm-hmm. brand, you know, to get our our show content uh, website out that those were all necessary things. And and, uh, I had been beating myself up about it uh, because I was Mm. feeling unfocused. But I realize now I was actually doing exactly what was needed to make it to the next step, and that's clearing the clutter. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I'm sure we talk in six months. You will tell me lots of good things, I'm sure. I'll catch up with (laughs) you in six months. Well, I I, uh, certainly believe that that will be true. Uh, This has been a really uh, important process for me to go through, uh, you know, and again, sometimes we just move so fast, and particularly, you know, in this day when we have companies that are privately held by investors Mm -hmm. who are demanding uh, results, uh, you know, in really short order, and... um, you know, I think we don't take enough time to just stop and do the planning, to work on our business rather than in our business. Exactly. And one thing you should not forget is be proud of what you're doing, be proud of yourself, celebrate constantly. I think we tend to focus on the negative and the and, and the failures, and, and I think that we do achieve a lot. And like you said, you're tough on yourself, but... I'm sure you've done a lot, and, and I'm impressed with what you've done. So I think it's important, even if people don't tell you, be proud with yourself very regularly. Uh, well, thank you so much. We are doing a lot, yes. Well, I hope you have an amazing weekend. And again, for our listeners, uh, we are launching uh, our new website officially next Monday. Uh, but you can go there today, uh, the Executive Girlfriends Group Dot com is where we still have all of our show content, but we have uh, 
taken a big move in opening that content up, uh, not just to women, not just to executive women, but we have a, mm-hmm. a new membership that we are uh, instituting, in, and it's incredibly affordable. You know, you might have to skip getting uh, a, a latte for a couple of days a month, um, but we have a, a very affordable audio-only membership, and then we, of course, have our regular basic and charter uh, executive girlfriends group memberships. And then... In May, when my book comes out, we're going to be launching uh, a new network called the Game Changer Network where uh, we have a, a call once a month. Um, I, I refer to it a little bit as a mastermind group, but I really hate that term, and I'm trying to find a new term. Um, but really it's a place for, for people to get together and really bounce ideas off of each other and, and really help each other be accountable um, you know, for being more focused in what we're doing and for really changing the game and not doing things that are just incremental in our businesses. So I really appreciate you uh, helping me celebrate that launch. And again, mm-hmm. for our listeners, you can go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com uh, to learn more and just press the Join Now button and, and it will have all of our different memberships. Antonio, if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing or they would like to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Um, I think the best is uh, through LinkedIn. You, you just put my name, you'll find me, and then connect with me. I'll be very happy to connect with all the listeners and exchange ideas and views. And, and if you happen to be in Europe, let me know. I'll take you out for, for dinner and some good wine. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I am a lover of Spanish wine, and I am betting wow. you know quite a bit about Spanish wine. Yeah, I know a lot. I'm very focused on that one. Well, if you ever get to Tampa, Florida, you let me know too. I will. Antonio, have a marvelous weekend. And again, thank I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, just you can check on our website also for our upcoming shows. And if you are not a member, you can listen uh, free to our last three shows, and we encourage you to do that. Thanks again, and have a fabulous weekend, and go out there and change the game. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald.